Like I literally, I physically, like, you know, I changed my posture. I held my head high and I had made that permanent decision. Like regardless of what anybody thinks about my hair, how they look at me, how they react to me, I'm going to walk up in here like I am the shit. Hey, welcome to Boss Locks. We're here to redefine professionalism and prove that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, today's episode comes at a perfect time because, I mean, there's it's, it's a mess out there, y'all. Like, we, we have a, the governor of Georgia suing the mayor of Atlanta over a face mask policy. School's about to start, and parents have to decide whether or not they're sending their kids back to school. A lot of us are unclear about where the next check is coming from, and we have Kanye West, who's running around saying some awful things about Harriet Tubman. I mean, there's so much going on. It could get a little overwhelming, but... Today's episode really made me feel good. I'll introduce our guest shortly, but we had an amazing conversation about hope, how to truly love yourself, the educational system, and we even got a little spiritual. So and whether you believe it or not, I really think you're going to like today's conversation. So without further ado, welcome to episode 10, Manifesting Dreams with Brittany Kristen. Thank you for listening. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Boss Lux. I'm your host, Walter Kane the second. And on this show, we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, today I have the honor of speaking with Brittany Kristen. Brittany, how are you doing today? So far, so good. Thank you for having me, Walter. Of course, man. Really glad to have you here. Now, in all transparency, I'm low-key a little nervous because like, you are someone who does what I do just on a whole nother level. Um, <laughs> and for everyone who doesn't know, Brittany is a culture commentator, media personality. She's a co-host on Nightmare Radio, a show and a podcast. And she's also, um, she's been doing the work for a while. She's a creative who's worked with companies like State Farms, banks, um, a few government agencies, has been creating content for like SoulCycle. I think you said Revlon, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Revlon. And if that wasn't impressive enough, she puts on her superhero cape and goes into the Cap County schools to teach every day. So, um, Brittany, I have a lot of questions to ask you. And also after this, I'm going to have you uh, give me some feedback <laughs> to see how I'm doing. <laughs> but before we get into everything, I want to know what are three things that most people don't know about you? Oh, man. <laughs> okay. Um, three things that most people don't know about me. I think I'm pretty transparent about a lot of things. Um, hmm. Three things that people don't know about me that I'd love to share. Dang, I'm I'm at a brain uh, freeze. Let's see. <laughs> I am. Um, everybody knows I love black people. Um, I love black. I think that 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 people know that too. But um, but this period. And my life has been really about expanding my faith and um <laughs> and, and growing in ways uh spiritually that i that i haven't grown before mm-hmm. um two more things let's see hmm. i'm an only child it's just me uh by my by both my parents i'm an only child and another thing that no one knows about me hmm I don't know. Let's see. Uh, give me, give me, give me a topic or something. Maybe, maybe I can. Okay. Um, let me think. 
what's something are you from georgia yeah I, I, yeah pretty much born well raised for the for the majority of my life span yes here is home atlanta stone mountain stone mountain okay i'm in stone mountain too oh yeah yeah new here but i'm still i'm still getting integrated i feel connected i, I finally know like the different parts i know exactly where marietta is compared to <laughs> um sandy springs and all of that but um yeah right. still learning I learned that just the other day, there's like seven major counties and everything. So mm -hmm. I thought it was just a cab in Fulton. So still Where getting plugged in. South Carolina? Yeah, Charleston. Okay, cool. Yeah, well, welcome. Welcome to Metro Atlanta. Thank you. <laughs> Thank proud. you. We are full. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, it is. Yeah. Um, you know what? With those two, I think we'll, we'll start there. Okay. And I'm going to unravel the third one. This podcast will be discovering the third thing that most people yeah. don't know about you. <laughs> yeah, definitely. <laughs> I bet. All right. So um, love Black people and love God. Um, mm -hmm. I think what you said was interesting. Like this period is really, um, did you say brought you back into it or just kind of heightened your appreciation for um, I mean, God? You know what? I've, I've, I'm no stranger to the Lord. Um, however, this time of quarantine, no, to be honest, it wasn't even quarantine that, that brought me closer. Um, I went through some really interesting experiences in 2016 that challenged my faith. Um, but, tr but I really just learned how to surrender and, you know, expand my faith. And that has, I'm still on the cloud on that, you know, after you go through a series of bad things, traumatic things. You know, and then you finally get into that good, that good luck season. And mm -hmm. I think that I'm still in my good luck season three years, you know, past that moment. And it's truly just because of my faith and being plugged in. And it's, it's literally like a relationship, you know, it's, it's not, um, it's not easy. It's not like every single day I'm just lifted in the spirit, you know, but it's definitely learning, teaching me so many things about myself and about discipline and about uh, relationships, because this is the most important relationship. Mm-hmm. That's interesting. So I, I know a friend of mine once told me that oftentimes people they believe but they'll come closer to God after that, um, after those experiences. Do you think it's kind of that faith that helped you out of it or or I guess what was that period? We don't have to get into the exact experience, but in that moment, what was it that made you it kind of flipped the switch? Um I literally was you know, in a state of surrender. Like I have been trying to do, to make change in my life, like off the strength of myself alone. And um, I made horrible decisions and um, I just really just wasn't focused on the things that were important to me that I thought were important. Um, but I, I really feel like I was knocked all the way down to the bottom. Like I had nowhere else to go, nowhere else to turn. And all I had to do was just surrender it over and really you know initiate and work at a relationship with god which looks nothing like what they tell you what your parents tell you it looks nothing like what the church tells you you know it looks nothing like what your friends talk about because it's truly a personal experience but um through my hard struggles i found i found god's voice um you know through through meditation through music even through some of my close friends um, and the and and the words and the things that they would speak to me about, and even just through signs and doors opening and other doors literally slamming in front of my face. <laughs> <laughs> um, but I just I just had to open up my senses like all around me, um, and just.
be open to to the spirit and how he moves and how he decided to move around me and through my life at that time. Um, but like I said, before before those experiences, I had always had a relationship with God. Um, I was I wouldn't say I was raised in the church, but I was no stranger to the church. Um, it's just during that experience that during my during my journey, um, my new relationship with God wasn't like based in the church. You know, it was completely different from what everybody else has told me about. It truly is a personal thing, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's interesting. I know um, with my journey, so I, I've even heard of unity. Mm-hmm. Well, what, okay. in, what, in what way? Oh, that's right. Yeah. Unity is a pretty big word. Yeah. Um, there's this church called Unity Church, and it's more spiritual based, but it's on is based off of christianity so mm-hmm. it's a lot of the same principles but i think most of the lessons come from like a metaphysical perspective so yeah. so i grew up and so i have a interesting relationship with just spirituality and god and everything but um mm-hmm. um oh she was gonna ask hmm. oh well um how how are you so oh that's right going to church um so you say your spirituality and your relationship isn't based in church. Um, well, it was, I, start, I started off, you know, based in the church and I still, uh-huh. you know, I still identify as Christian. Um, it's, it's almost kind of similar to what you were talking about with unity, mm-hmm. um, you know, but I, I just realized that like my, my faith in God is grounded in the Bible, but it's beyond the Bible. My, my God is not limited to pages of a book. My God is not limited to someone else's interpretation of it. You know, my God is literally boundless and limitless. And, um, and I, and I know that for myself now. Um, and that's beyond what the church was able to provide me, but the church gave me a great foundation for it. You know, I don't think I would have been introduced to God had I not been introduced through, through religion, you know? Mm -hmm. I guess it's kind of like school, like a community school, you know, you go to learn yeah, and then from there you can decide what your path's going to be. Right, which is so crazy because when I think about school, I was a I was a good student from like elementary, middle school, high school, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and oh, you know that's something that that no one really knows, or maybe a lot of people don't know this, or maybe they forgot. I did not go to school to become a teacher. I did not go to college to enter into education. Hmm. I was called into education. I literally manifested becoming a teacher. <laughs> really? Yes, that's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, that was like around that period that things were going crazy, but I was working in that government um, role. I was um, doing external affairs and marketing. Um, And it was summer 2015. To be honest, crazy how it started off. My homegirl called me and was like, girl, meet me at happy hour, girl. I'm in Brookhaven. And I looked at the clock and it was like two o'clock on a Wednesday in the middle of the summer. And I'm like, you know, I can't go. I'm sitting at my desk. I got an event tomorrow. I'm, I'm tired. <laughs> but she was a teacher or she worked for the school board at the time. Um, so she was off in the summer vacation. And I was like, man, I want to be a teacher so I can get off on summers. Right. But, <laughs> but more so um, as I was working in that field at the time, um, I was thankful to be working in my field, you know, in, in um, public relations and in marketing, you know, in a communications field. But who I was working for, like I said, I worked for a governmental agency. This is 2015, you know, as we're approaching the 2016 mm-hmm. election. <laughs> and my, uh, right. And so the CEO of my company um, was, 
pretty much a lobbyist for a lot of policies that I wasn't a fan of, but I was her writer. I was her presentation, pre pre you know, preparer. I was um, writing copy for, for uh, things to go out on her behalf. And these things were just not aligned with what I believed in for myself, for my people, for my community. And um, it was, it was also around that time that I was like, dang, I really want to do something that allows me to um, utilize my gifts and impact people in my community that I, that I feel connected to and teaching is what that was. So, you know, the journey that I got that, that took me into the classroom is really interesting, but it's a part of that spiritual journey, but it's crazy that I, I verbally said those words, you know, just one summer before I was placed in that position. And so, yeah. Power of manifestation. Yeah. Um, <laughs> wow. Okay. So there's a couple of things I want to get into there. Um, I guess for, okay. So for those who don't know, um, how would you describe manifestation? I just had this conversation with my homegirl. I think that manifestation is God's gift to his faithful people. And when I say faithful, I mean like faith space full, like I'm full of faith. Because in order to manifest anything, you really just have to have faith in God. So when you go to God in prayer or in meditation, um, whatever you're asking for, or whatever, you, whatever you know, you're believing in, you're asking God and you're trusting that your creator is going to be able to make that happen for you. And so all God wants from us is His is our trust and, and our full belief that, that he's capable of doing any and everything, that he's limitless and boundless. Once he understands and knows that my child really does believe this of me, that's all that that's the that's what he wants he wants we say give god the glory give god the praise you know he wants that he wants confirmation and knowing that we trust him completely with our dreams with our heart's desires as long as it matches up with his will and so as a gift to those that are faithful that are full of faith you know he provides the manifestation of what it is that we ask that's my interpretation of it i like it that's a good interpretation yeah okay i can tell you're a good teacher too you communicate things very clearly oh thanks <laughs> <laughs> So, um, manifestation. So in addition to trust, what are some things, I don't know if you've ever like consciously thought about it in your life, but what are some things that you do to kind of reach that manifestation? Oh yeah. Um, repetitive speaking of it, writing it down and, and I just try to model my, my, my day, like, you know, whatever it is that I'm attempting to manifest, I'm making sure that I'm doing the actions that are going to lead me to that. So like, I feel like faith without works is crazy. So I'm going to ask and believe in God for this. And I'm also show God I got to work. You know, I have the discipline that's required to do it too. So once I state it, I, I state it a few times. I might talk about it with my friends or I might just keep it, you know, in my own head, but I write it down for sure. Um, I constantly go back to it. I'm a Virgo, so I'm real analytical. Like I, I love a to-do list. You know, I love making lists or writing letters and notes. But um, once I write it down, I'll do what, what is required or what I know I'm capable of to get that to happen. And then I come back to it, you know, and it's done. Mm. Love it. Yeah. Love <laughs> it. Okay. Do you actually like literally, um, like write it down pen and paper? Uh-huh. <laughs> I was thinking about the other day I asked because like, so like I, I do that as well. I make tons of lists. Matter of fact, I've got a few notebooks I need to like work on digitizing, but I always found that it's cool to, I like having be able to type things up on my phone. Oh, you got a nice chair. Okay. What does it yep. say? That says right with your heart. Right with your heart. Ooh. Yep. 
And then this one is, um, and I have like multiple, but these are the ones that I'm working from right now. This is left over from the school year. This one says your vibe attracts your tribe. Mm. And this one is my new one, but nice. I do write it down. <laughs> I've got um, some Target yellow pad notebook thing. So maybe I need to upgrade my manifestation <laughs> journals, put some more love into it. As long as you write it down, be intentional and write it down. That's all you need. Mm -hmm. All right. And I should also clarify that was Target before the protest and everything, right. you know, it was a dollar, <laughs> right. so I just picked it up. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay, cool. All right. And it's something interesting when you write it down, because you could like type it up and everything, but it's, it's almost like you put more energy to it when you're physically writing and you mm -hmm. see the ink on the paper. It's like it mm -hmm. takes it from your mind and puts it, I guess mm -hmm. in a way it already makes a reality because you put yeah. it into the world. Oh, okay. Cool. Yeah, that's it. I, I swear my vision boards too, actually. If I was at home in my home in my house, you'd probably see my vision board behind me. Mm -hmm. But I don't play about the vision boards either. Like it's a big it ain't no, okay, girl, let me grab these magazines and I'm gonna sit down and cut. No, it's like, oh, in November, in October, I'm I'm sitting and thinking about the things that I want to manifest, the things that I want to do, my goals. I'm writing it down. In December, I'm looking through all the magazines I done collected from the year to see if these magazines even had the stuff that I need in it. Like it's prayer and intentional and then I put it you know then I organize it on my board but I, I'm big on that I, re, I look at my board daily when I'm at home um you know like multiple times a day I talk to myself I you know I write letters to myself on the vision board from the from the previous year and I read them things and bad boys like that's real I'm real religious about it like I'm very intentional um and you know in order about those things mm-hmm we're gonna have to have a manifestation workshop when everything okay. clears up. Yeah, <laughs> safely, of course. Yes, yeah, masks and sanitizer and personal mm -hmm. stuff. We can have our own space and yeah. not infect We're gonna have cubicles set up. No one's gonna see each other, but <laughs> right. <figure> it out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Cool. All right. Now I want to go back to um, that 2015 year when you were working um, with the group. Um, you said you were. So, what exactly were you doing? Okay, so with this group, I was a I was an external affairs and marketing assistant. Um, my direct manager was like the director of marketing, and I also reported to the CEO of the company. It was a very small company, maybe seven seven um, women. Uh, everybody was my senior by at least twenty five years, mm. and I was one of three black women. My boss was black and the CEO's executive assistant was black. It's so funny because the CEO used to like the name, I'm, they're not going to listen to this podcast, but my boss's name was Tammy. The executive assistant's name was Tanya. And this white lady, the CEO, she just wanted to call me Tiffany. And she spelled it with an I, like my name is spelled with an I. <laughs> but I guess in her mind, it was fit. These three black women work for me and they, those two black women have T's. And this is a B, but that don't fit in my picture. The trifecta so, T. Right. So her name is Tiffany. And I remember looking around one day at a board meet, at a board meet I'm like, who, who is Tiffany? We <laughs> <laughs> have a virtual assistant. Y'all keep mentioning her. She doing the same stuff I'm doing. Where, why am I double doing work? <laughs> wow. Oh, so she was literally calling you Tiffany. Yes. I remember having, like, it was like two months in and I remember having to tell her, you know, nicely, ma'am. I think I figured out who you keep referring to. And it's my name is actually Brittany with an I. You spelled Tiffany with an I, but mm -mm, it's Brittany. <laughs> wow. 
dang, yo. <laughs> yeah. Two it's months real. is called. Wow. Mm-mm. Have you ever thought to change your name to Tiffany? No. <laughs> <laughs> nah. I had quite yeah. an interesting experience working there, though. Um, and being being a black woman, even though there were it was majority, well, it was all women that worked in that in that office. This was a, a industry that was dominated by older white males. Hmm. So being a woman in that field was very interesting. At the time, I was twenty five, young, hot, fresh out of college, you know, and and I'm a black millennial woman. You know, at the time I did not have locks, but I was natural. And I remember getting that job and, you know, I did the whole get a job Bob with the little sewing thing. And then I remember like reeling it out slowly. Like I think the first day that I wore my natural hair, I had it in like a high Marley bun. And the lady was like, you look so regal. And I was like, damn right. I look regal because I'm a queen. But, you know, I'll take <laughs> that. <laughs> <laughs> then, you know, I, I slowly introduced them to the Bantu knot out and heads were turning and the hands were coming and mm-hmm. I'm like, no, uh, Solange, I am, don't touch my hair. Yes, it's soft. Yes, I did that. Then I hit him with the blowout the next day. They'd be like, whoa, whoa Brittany, Tiffany, I, I'm, I'm amazed at this point, you know. But um, but I do remember um, being, because I was a, in public affairs, you know, external affairs, I was I was um, spokesperson for the company. I would be I was sent to different events. Um, with mayors, local mayors, uh, like the the at the time the mayor of Atlanta, Mayor Kasim Reed, some of the uh, smaller cities like Brookhaven, Dunwoody, and I was always worried and nervous about my appearance and my presentation because I knew that I was a young black girl in this white male dominated, you know, industry. So, mm-hmm. I. I yeah, it was a whole ordeal. I remember asking my manager at the time, like, I wanted to get braids. And she was like, yeah. you know, looking back, I just, I don't ever want to work in a space like that where I feel like that ever again. <laughs> right. And your manager was black? My manager was black. That conversation, she was, <clears throat> in, um, she, had, she had been natural, but she wore wigs. I had never seen her real hair. I don't think she, I think she said her husband hadn't seen her real hair in over like 15 years. And um, I remember asking her in our conversation, you know, she's like, I hate having this conversation with you as a black woman. Cause you know, I want to tell you, do what you want to do with your hair. But I also got to tell you, you know, you who, who you work for and how important your representation of our company is. So if you feel, if you feel strongly, she didn't tell me not to, she told me, you know, if you feel strongly to do that, make sure that it's professional. Mm. <laughs> So I didn't get the braids. <laughs> Man, you know, um, do you remember, um, in, well, you've seen Insecure. Love it. Favorite. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that, that show's dope. But um, you remember in season one, um, that scene where Molly had to have that talk with, um, um, I think it was an intern. Yeah, it, that's funny. That's actually one of my friends from high school. Her name is Gail Bean. <laughs> we cheer oh, together. What? Yo, shout out to yeah. Yo, I reference that clip all the time. Um, I just think that that scene was really, really powerful and it really showed a lot of different perspectives and it really makes you think. Um, I know I like it because it's, I think Molly had this kind of 
coming to reality where um she was the exec in this law in this law firm and she was like the one black woman there and a younger black girl started working there you know she was just being her true authentic self and everything mm-hmm. and i was like cool with it but then like she just kind of tried to give her a note like hey just you know you might have to tone it down you know we're in here but not like that and she's like mm-hmm. no i'm gonna do me i'm gonna do me the whole time and I just think like that seems really powerful because it reminds me of what you were just expressed where um, your manager, and I guess I, I guess I, uh, the way she spoke to you about it, it, it'd be cool if she was able to truly empower you by actually mm. backing you up yeah. in public. But um, I think at least she wasn't just coming down on you and like, you right. can't do this and all that. But um, that experience for you, how did kind of looking back how do you feel about that interaction oh you know i i first that she that woman was one of my best managers that i've ever had um and i just i think what i admired so much about her was because she was this strong black woman in this you know this industry that was not for us and she like that was a bad woman right there like Mm she was up in them board meetings and and she just had this, she just demanded this respect when she walked into a room. Like I remember we were doing an event and it was right before we finished setting up. Like I, I remember setting up like one of the, um, the, the press conference room and she went over to look at it. And I remember like watching her walk down the hallway and she had that walk, like, you know, like I am that queen. And I always, I, I still look up to her like that. So when she had that conversation with me, um, you know, it, it ended in her saying, you do what you what you want to do. I appreciate her for giving me both sides. But I know that if I were in that situation, the conversation would probably go a whole lot different. But she's also like 53. You know what I mean? So she mm-hmm. comes from a, from a different um, time. And yeah. at that time, like, like I said, I was working in corporate America. So I had already been brainwashed and trained, you know, on on proper protocol. So it, it's just, it's just crazy. Looking back, like I will never, you wouldn't be, uh-uh, it wouldn't happen again. <laughs> the person right. that I will know, if if I had that conversation, my response would be probably extremely different. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That was actually the last time that I worked in a, in an environment like that. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. So you truly manifested. You're like, yeah, I'm not doing this, not doing that, not getting this. (laughs) Yep. And then that next summer at my new job, I was working for the school board at the time, but I was not in the classroom. Um, I was working in the offices, but we were all black in there. And I was like, you know what? I'm about to try crochets, sew-ins, braids. We're going to throw a little color in here because I was with my relatives and I figured nobody was going to try to check me about that. And you know what? Somebody did come check me. (laughs) That's cool. That's really cool because I feel like a lot of times in education, you know, I know um, just with social media, a lot of people are always coming on teachers like, you know, you got to be locked down. You can't be seen anywhere. And I've just heard stories about just how people choose to present themselves in the schools like, no, you can't do this. Got to look this way. So it's really cool that you're able to truly um, be you and no one's really coming for you about your hair. Yeah. Well, like I said, because before I entered the actual classroom, I was working in the um, at the school county office and mm. it was, that was just for a short time before I transitioned into the classroom but 
one of the interim leaders in the county office had made a comment about one of the crochet braid styles that I had in my hair at the time. And he was black, but <laughs> you know, I was, I felt I was, it was a different Brittany at that point. I was able to effectively communicate myself and put him in his place as a black king, talking to a, to a queen about her hair in a, in a professional workspace. I had to professionally, you know, let him know, first off, this is not a, a natural color that I had. I think I might've had like, you know, like a burgundy, you know, mixed in with my braids or something. And I was interviewing for a position. And I, and then I furthermore had to let him know. And, and besides all of that, whatever choice that I make with my hair has nothing to do with my work ethic. And you can ask any and every person around here that has encountered me knows that I'm about my business. So, well, she got to say. <laughs> You know, and I ended up doing that job. <laughs> so, but since I've been in the classroom, though, it, um, at least at my school, you you are free to do whatever you want to do, and that's beautiful, and I love it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, one question I want to ask you, and I ask everyone this because I like to hear everyone's different perspectives. Um, but how would you describe uh, the word professionalism? Professionalism. Um. I would say um, internal and external customer oriented. And, um, you know, it, I think it has to do with the quality of work and the discipline that it requires to to produce that, that quality of work. Um, yeah, I just, I, I would say internal, external customer service, service, quality of work and discipline that it requires to maintain and produce it. Yeah. Okay. Because when and, we think about, go ahead, you go ahead. Oh, no, I like it. Well, when I want to know what you think about professionalism, you know? What I think about it. Yeah. Okay. No one ever asked me that. Um, I really feel as though it's, it's, it's a combination of the va of value that you bring and also the respect as well. Um, mm -hmm. I think respect is very important to me. Um, and when you're in an environment where you're not respected or not even about you, but other people around you aren't respected, it's just, it, it, it kind of affects me internally. And it's kind of like this poisonous, that energy that goes around the world. So I think fourth and foremost is respect, um, respecting other people, not because you necessarily want to, or you like what they're doing, but just respect them because that is another human being who is, um, has their own experiences and thought process and opinions that may be different. But mm. I think that difference is really beautiful. And even if you don't agree, I think that's kind of how progress is made is that kind of gray period between the two differences. So I always think of respect first when I think of professionalism and I know it's taken me a while and I think it comes in layers as well. So there's definitely past experience where I wish I was like, man, I wish I, approach it this way. But um, my girlfriend actually pointed out to me, like, because I was just sharing some experiences, I think that when I'm truly like disrespect in different environments, I do like, make sure that's like, that's not gonna happen anymore. I don't really, right. I think sometimes I might wait a little too long, but eventually I'll like sit down with that person and be like, yeah, yeah. this, this isn't how it's going to be anymore. Um, right. And yeah. Mm hmm. But yeah, um, and 
I think with you, it's interesting. You used to keep on saying like, if you were, if you knew back then, which you know now, it'd be different. But I do actually want to kind of applaud you because you really have, um, just in those couple experiences you shared, like you did communicate to that other person that like, you know, this isn't going to happen anymore. You got to respect me with the lady who was calling you Tiffany forever <laughs> with the, um, the guy, the black man who was kind of coming at you a little bit about your hair, mm-hmm. kept on like letting people know like, yo, this isn't how you're going to treat me and respect me. Period. So, um, <laughs> and I think those two things are really important because uh, people have their names messed up all the time. Um, I think that women in the office are disrespected in general, but when it comes to like the black men, black women thing, it's really interesting and mm-hmm. all transparency, you know, I am a great person, but I've obviously had things, more things to learn about too, when it comes to just the, um, identifying some like problematic behaviors between like black men and black women. But, um, yeah. I'm curious with you, um, first off, how do you decide to go and kind of like check that person in a professional environment? <laughs> well, it all, it, it depends on the situation and the environment and the people that are, um, you know, uh, involved, of course, because there have been numerous times where I have been in situations and I did not speak up like I wanted to or like I should have. Maybe not numerous, but I can definitely think of, you know, some times where I um I just didn't take the opportunity because I just didn't know how to professionally express myself without it crossing the line. Cause I'm a passionate person. I'm passionate in almost everything that I do. And that's a blessing and a curse. <laughs> but um yeah, I, it just really depends on the scenario. I'm trying to think of the time where I had to like Tell them to put some respect on it <laughs> mm-hmm. in a nice way. Uh, <laughs> let me think. You know what? At this point in my journey, I think that because I think it's hard for me to, to recall a time recently because of the way I carry myself now. And um, like, for example, like you really do. It really is like your personal brand that people respect. And not like, oh, like my brand on Instagram with my colors and my business and stuff. But, you know, the the face card that you give to your employers or to, ever, to whoever that you're in contact with on the daily is really like a reflection of you. So I call, I call women queens. Like, off rip, hey, queen, good morning, queen. Yes, queen, beautiful queen. You know, that's how I speak to, to women. And I call men kings, too. I call my students king and queen constantly. Um but because I do that, because I'm always like conscious of the respect that I give to people when I speak to them or when I work with them, I think that people automatically, you know, return it back to me. So I recently, like within, since I've been teaching, I guess, I don't think I've had, um, and since I've been in this industry um, as, as a media personality and as a conversation curator, um, I really haven't had an instance where I've had to check anybody because I feel like people already know what it is when they, you know, like I, I had posted recently, like I'm starting to believe the the hype because now I hear about myself before people, before I, I meet the person, you know, oh, like, like people begin to call me queen because, because that's what I give out to other people. So I haven't had any recent moments where I've had to like, let somebody know that's not the way to approach me. Cause I feel like for the most part now they already know when you approach me, 
you know what it is. You better come with a smile, something positive, don't dra no drama, you know, and I'm going to give that back to you. And even if you don't approach me like that on the first time, by the time we're finished talking, you will have changed your tone because I'm not going to, you know, get out of my own character. Mm-hmm. And I have to say, your brand definitely does speak, like, without you having to say it, because, like, we have never met in person, and just from the interactions, like, it's it's hard not to come at you with a smile and everything. I think you like, <laughs> radiate yeah. good energy through the internet, so, Thanks. yeah, I'm, what you're doing yeah. is working. Yeah, and that, and that's really just a journey. I think that really, like, that's just been a, that's a testament to my own, like, self, self-love journey, you know, like, valuing myself and understanding my value and not from anybody else's eyes, but from my own eyes, you know, like, I think that that really is just my own process of how I got to this point. Hmm. Cause I don't think it was always like that. I mean, I feel like I've always had a good spirit, but you know, people really do take to you based on how you present yourself. Do you feel that you always have to present yourself a certain way. Like, let's say um, you're not feeling it a certain day and maybe you're not just like loving yourself a certain day. Like, how do you still present that yourself with that good energy while mm. also being kind of respectful to your own personal feelings? You are doing a great job with these questions. <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I'm human. There have been so many times where I haven't been feeling my best or I didn't feel like I was, you know, putting my best foot forward, but I still just figured out a way to, um, to, to like prevail. It's funny. This is a throwback story. I'm like full of short stories. I love <laughs> my it. dad, when I was in high school, um, I tried out for the cheerleading team. Well, when I was in middle school, I tried out for the high school cheerleading team. I had been cheering before, um, but not at, the, not in a school setting. And my first day of tryouts, I was super, actually the, the interest meeting, I was excited until I got in there. I saw these girls, I thought they were better than me. They looked prettier than me. They had, you know, better body shapes than me, whatever. And I just immediately just, you know, went in. And then first day of tryouts come and it kicked my ass and I was super intimidated. And I remember walking out of that gym to my dad's car that was waiting on me, defeated and looking like I had just gotten beat up. <laughs> I cried my little eyes out. My dad let me cry the entire way home. When we pulled into that garage, he told me, you don't ever, I let you get it out. But even when you're feeling your worst, you don't ever let it show because they're going to treat you how you present yourself. And that, that was, that was in April of 2004. <laughs> mm. And that's still, you know, that's still one of the best pieces of advice that my dad has ever told me and really in the entire world, like I've ever, ever received from anybody else. So even when I am feeling, when I'm not feeling my best, I still try to put my best foot forward. Um, like for example, in the classroom, you know, I'm a teacher. My students have a special connection with me. There are days when I don't feel my best. There are days when I'm in a bad mood there I'm human. I have my own things that I've got going on, but I know that my students are human as well. And even though they're 16 or 17 and people discount them all the time, they got, they can have bad days too. So I could have been the first smile that they've seen by the time they get to my class in fifth period, they done gotten into an argument with their parents last night, didn't do their homework. First period teacher then took, took whatever 
device they weren't supposed to have. They got into it with their little boyfriend during second period. They lost their little lunch money by third period, you know, had a test they weren't prepared for by fourth period. Even though I'm having a crappy day, I could be the first person that the fir- that person's first smile they received all day. So I just kind of sort of carry that around with me. You know, even if I'm going through whatever it is that I'm going through, I'm fully equipped to handle that. But while I'm, you know, while I'm in spaces where I have to be interacting with other people, I'm a person of servitude. So I'm going to put that smile on. I'm going to lend that ear. And it's, and it, like I said, it is hard, but I stay tuned into my source. So I can, that's where I get the energy to do that. Mm, a relationship and, with God. Yeah, that's, that's it. That's that relationship with God. Even when I'm not feeling my best, I'm still going to try to give someone else, you know, the best of what I have to give at that time, because you don't know what that person can receive or, or has been receiving, you know? Mm-hmm. I don't know if it exists, but I'm going to look for like teacher of the year award and try to nominate you. They <laughs> create it. Really they cool. have, you know, there's teacher, of the, of, they, we get teacher of the year at school and stuff. I'm never, um, you know, and I don't even do it for that. Like, that's cool. I'm gonna do it. I'm gonna hack the system. <laughs> Thanks, I appreciate it. <laughs> but I don't even do it for that. I love my kids. I can't believe I can't see them, and I won't be able to see them like in person for a very long time. Mm-hmm. How's <sighs> your school? Um, how's your school kind of handling this whole COVID stuff, especially with like school supposed to start in yeah. a couple weeks? Actually, DeKalb County um, announced yesterday during our board meeting. So this is hot off the press. Oh, um, We are right. So you're getting the tea. We are delaying our start by two weeks. Um, so we'll be starting on August 24th, the day after my birthday. And everything is virtual until it's not. So every single month, they are going to reassess the state of, you know, our community and the COVID cases, and then they're going to make the best decision. Now, unfortunately, I lose my, um, I just lose my effectiveness through a computer with teaching. But at the same time, we're saving lives, you know. I really wish I could see my kids, though. I'm like a hands-on teacher. Like, I, you know, I might give my kids a hug. You know, we dapping up. We might have to hit a little dance in the classroom. Like, I love that. So I'm missing, I, I'm definitely missing that interaction. That's really cool. Yeah. Man. You know, kind of hear what you speak. I just thinking, um, I think that, I think that I've only had one black teacher. What? And that was my mom. Um, I did go to like, so, I mean, Charleston is pretty like, yeah, it's, it's definitely, it's the South, (laughs) not like, you know, other places, but it's definitely still like, just Mm -hmm. the options are kind of like set out for you, I think. But um, yeah, and just hearing you speak, I'm just thinking about all like the black kids who get to have you and some of the other black teachers, both in the classroom and behind the scenes. And that really does make a lot of difference um on i think it was like episode six or seven um six with um christina joy she's a basically like a behavior specialist so she works in schools and we're just talking about how um a lot of times black kids are kind of labeled as like um what's word just just like problematic and everything but sometimes mm. it's just like they just need like a different type of love or there's just like a cultural um, different so these teachers don't really understand yeah um, the black kids and it's just really cool to have someone like you in there who could really kind of meet them on their level um or not even on their level but just 
meet them kind of yeah. where they are yeah well um i work i'm a product of DeKalb county schools i graduated from a DeKalb county school um DeKalb county is the most affluent african-american community in the nation um and so my students are all black for the most part. Like we're like 99.9% black. And I think that's important. That that was a part of the choice that I made to get into the classroom because I wanted to feed my own. Um, but what's crazy is I didn't really, I have, I had, I had for the most part all black teachers throughout my entire K-12 education too. I had a few white teachers, but um I went to, it took me having to leave this predominantly black community to go to college at a white school to learn about you know the things that I know and, and, I'm, and I'm passionate about now and I came from a community just like mine so I thought I find that interesting I mean as far as like teaching and 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 being able to relate to my students oh yeah it's great and because I'm so young I remember what it was like to walk these halls I'm an adult so I'm old enough and I'm mature enough to know right from wrong, but I, I rely on my on my age and my youthfulness to relate to our students because you know we code switch. I'm not gonna tell you not to to, to I'm not gonna tell you to not cuss at all. Cause I I cuss like a sailor. But what I will tell you to do is don't do that in this classroom because this is called code switching. I understand how you talk with your friends. I'm not gonna tell you that your grammar is wrong because I know that you're speaking African American vernacular English. Um and that and that is a dialect. But I am going to let you know that in this classroom and in this setting, while we're having this educational discourse, we're going to use a different type of dialect. Um, but I think that it's important to be able to communicate with the people that you're that you're working with, you know, your students that you teach. It's important to be able to relate with them. I can only imagine, you know, being from a different cultural background and trying to foster those types of relationships, how different it would be. However, it's not impossible because I have white coworkers, some of my white coworkers that are just outstanding with our students. You know, the communication is on point. Um, but I also think that age has a lot to do with it because those teachers, those white teachers that are that are able to connect like that are like, you know, close in age to them too. So mm. yeah. Yeah. That's pretty cool. What um what college did you go to? I went to the Georgia Southern University, the real GSU for <laughs> all the people that, that be trying to say Georgia State is the real GSU. <laughs> um, it's a it's a predominantly white institution. In fact, and I can you know I'm very passionate about about my alma mater. Um, it was desegregated in 1978. My mama graduated high school in Philly in 1978. Um, so the black population is probably anywhere between like 14 and 19 percent. Um, however, the black population at that school when I was there was extremely strong. I don't think I would be the person I was if it weren't for that that tight knit community. Mm-hmm. Because my experience at Georgia Southern literally shaped who I am today. Like the reason why I'm the black culture aficionado, the reason why I'm so passionate about these types of things is directly related to going to school down there. That's really cool. Yeah. That's really cool. I feel like I think like that's something that a lot of people in high school kind of need to hear, just learning more about not just the school and what classes we offer, but like what that culture is truly like, because college really does shape you and who you're around kind of just for helps forms your perceptions and everything. So that, mm. that's really cool. Yeah, it does. <laughs> yeah, 
it, uh, I'm telling you. And I wanted to go to a HBCU. I had gotten accepted to quite a few. My first choice was NCAT, North Carolina A&T. Okay. I had planned out, you know, I had researched. Terrence J went there. Big Tigger went there. Some other um, Black people that are in media. They have a great, you know, communications broadcast program. Um, but I think the decision came down to I didn't want to miss my senior activity week and cheerleading tryouts at North Carolina A&T were like the same week and I just didn't want to miss it. So instead I went to Georgia Southern, but um, it's hot. Like I said, I learned more about um, my history and my culture there than I did while living in my own community. That's really cool. Yeah. That's what happens sometimes when you are, when you're literally one of a few amongst the sea of many, you're forced to see things that you never saw before. Like, like I always say, the minority, the the problems of the minority don't affect the majority, so they don't exist to the majority, you know. Um, and so, like things like racism and um, you know those types of cultural differences, I really didn't have any exposure to them because I had grown up in a black community. Everybody looked like me. Everybody um, had the same type of advantages that I had. Um, and I and I graduated, you know, cream of the crop. The the high school I graduated from in DeKalb County had a reputation at the time for like the bougie black kids, you know. And so I went to Georgia Southern, thinking I had everything in the bag. Had never really been challenged. Had never really seen people not like me. Had never even noticed things about me that make me stand out because everybody around me was similar. And then it was a complete culture shock, you know, being sitting in a in a lecture class with 350 students and it's 12 black students and then it's only two little dark-skinned nappy-haired girls you know at that so the questions the the comments I mean I, I have been arrested I have been wrongfully accused of things I have been racially profiled I have witnessed um all sorts of hate crimes um I've been I've been my life has been threatened numerous times like yeah, it got real down there. I wouldn't. I won't take take my experience back for nothing because it opened my eyes up. But it it literally taught me everything. <laughs> mm -hmm. Man, it's interesting. Um, do you feel that did some of those experiences affect the way you looked at yourself? Yep. Um, can you speak a little on that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I'm trying to think of what to specifically, <laughs> you know, so I think that if you have a voice and you don't say anything about things and it just makes you complicit in the crime and um, being at Georgia Southern, witnessing the things I witnessed and people that look like me and you didn't say anything, didn't sit right with me. Um, and so, it, but it, but I also at the time, like I wasn't comfortable enough to talk up or say things, you know, um, but it, it just, it made me realize like, Hey, I have a voice. I have, a, I have, I see these things that are going on and I have a voice and I haven't used my own voice, but I expect other people to, to be a change on my behalf, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and it, it also taught me a lot about self-love, like, Try being, you, I mean, I, I don't know what your experience is, but you know, try being the only one like you or one of few that look like you, it's either going to make you hate yourself or really, 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 really love yourself, you know? <laughs> and for me, it was the really, really, really love. <laughs> oh, that's what's up. 
Yeah. Yeah. I'm glad you um, kind of put you on that side of it because I know it's really easy um, to be on the other side. I think that, mm-hmm. I'm being honest, I think, so this um, whole COVID experience has really kind of exposed a lot, I think, all over the place. But I think also it's been a good internal lesson for me because I've looked back throughout my life. And I think that for a large chunk of my, um, maybe like, I don't even know when this starts really, but I did love myself, but not as much as I do now. I think there's a lot of self-esteem and everything. And I know like so my younger sibling, they're going to HBCU now. And I just love that they are because um, we both grew up around a lot of white people. And we had a lot of white people who loved us as well. So we've had great experiences, but it's just something different when you are kind of around people who look like you and like that culture is there. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so I know just in those experiences, it is easy to go more on like the self-hate side of it, even if you don't realize it real time. And there's definitely things I wish I could like do differently back then, but I guess everything really leads to who you are. It's like yeah. that. It's like that Kanye song, um, back in the day, Kanye song. <laughs> um, right. Trying to write my wrongs for the same wrongs that we write this song. It's like, yeah. Oh, yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, that's that's deep. Kanye yeah. did back in the day, like late registration and and before, <laughs> <laughs> or graduation and before, you know, graduation, late registration, and college dropout, I was rocking with mm-hmm. Everything else, yeah. but but yeah, that's real. Um, you learn so much about yourself in this process. Um, really, this this new version of of my self love and self realization and self actualization. Um, when I locked my hair, I learned a lot more about myself and appreciated myself a lot more. Actually, me locking my hair was kind of similar to that awakening I had in college when I went natural for the first time. Oh, okay. So college was your first time going natural. Yeah. Well, I had tried it in high school. I wasn't ready, <laughs> clearly. Um, but I had gotten a perm when I went to college. And then um, by I went to college the summer of 2008. And then by like March 2009, I decided, well, I started growing my hair out at the end of that summer. And then March 2009 is when I decided to big chop. And I remember being so nervous the night before I, w- I had my appointment to chop off the rest of my perm because I was just nervous about what I was going to do. This was before YouTube was popping off. This was before being natural was like trendy. Um, we talk about the self-hate thing. Girls, black girls on campus be like, why are you wanting to go natural? Mm, you must have, you know what I'm about to say, good hair. To think that you would be able to do that in this South Georgia humidity, that ain't going to last for long. That's not cute. I don't know what you're thinking. And I remember like, you know, leading up to that, like having all of these thoughts about my own self, you know, and I was, I was heavier as well. So I was worried about not having, like I had always, the lot, the length of my locks right now is about the length of my, was about like the length of my natural hair when I, you know, or of my real hair before I had cut my perm off and stuff. Mm-hmm. So I was nervous about what I was going to look like. And I remember after I had chopped it off and my stylist had done her little braid out thing, the next day before I went to school, like before I went on on campus, I wasn't crazy about it. And um, I remember walking from my apartment to the bus stop to ride to campus and the walk from my front door, leaving my sanctuary where nobody else had, you know, had, could judge me 
to walk across the complex and wait on the bus stop and get on the bus, I felt like all eyes were on me and I felt like the ugliest person in the world. But in my mind, I remember what my dad told me, you know, four years prior about pretty much like never letting them see you sweat. And regardless of what you're feeling on the inside, you know, you project what, you, what is important to you on the outside. I remember when I, when the bus stopped at the union and I got my book bag on to walk out, like, like I literally, I physically, like, you know, I changed my posture. I held my head high and I had made that permanent decision, like, regardless of what anybody thinks about my hair, how they look at me, how they react to me, I'm going to walk up in here like I am the shit. And somebody is going, you know, like, regardless, I'm going, I'm going to make it through this day with all the confidence that I want to have. And I remember like walking through the union and people looking, I remember hugging this guy. And the first thing he said was, is that your hair? Oh my God. <laughs> he, he was like, oh. What did you do? To, what, what did you? What did you putting your hair smell so good? You know, because the natural products be smelling good and stuff. Mm -hmm. But you know, I I know that I had to like activate my outer to match what I wanted people to to think so that I could believe it for myself. And I'll never forget that because you know, for the first couple months of of me working with my natural hair, it took a process of me getting used to it and learning how to manage it, and also getting used to people's reactions to it. But I had to make myself numb to people's reactions to it because regardless of what they thought about it, I'm the one that got to do it. I'm the one that has to wear this. I'm the one that has to rock it with confidence. And, you know, I, I mastered that. And it's so funny because the same girls that was talking trash about natural hair, by the time we graduated college, they was trying to go natural and asking me for all the tips, <laughs> mm -hmm. you know? But like, again, it's it's just how you carry yourself. It doesn't matter if if you're not, if you don't buy it, if you're not confident in yourself, no one else is going to believe in yourself either. So even when you are one, are not sure about it, you still got to sell it until you believe it for yourself. Because the second you believe it for yourself or the second other people believe it for you is when, you know, it, it, that's that's the game changer right there. So um, when I, I when I went natural or when I locked my hair um, in 2018, January 2018, I went through that same um, period. It was a little bit different because at at 27, you know, I was a different woman. I was, I had a lot more confidence, a lot more life experience, but it was different for me changing my hair like that. You know, you, you know, you know, it's, it's more than hair. Um, but that, that first day out with my locks, I did utilize that same method back then. Like I was like, I put my nice earrings on, I had done my eyebrows good. But I literally walked out like I had a crown on my head. Like, nobody else is going to be able to bring me down off of this until I believed it for myself. Hey, everyone. I want to take a moment to let you know that we're officially visual, meaning that you can now watch me as I sit down with our guests to learn about their personal journey. Now, this is actually pretty terrifying for me because up to this moment I've been able to hide from the cameras but from here on now you'll be able to watch all of our conversations that we have on the podcast all you have to do is go to YouTube on your phone tablet computer or smart TV and search for boss lock you know we're all about growth and this was really the next step in creating a better digital experience and reaching people on the platforms they love the most so um, please go check us out 
um, by searching for Boss Locks, that is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S. And also just know that while this show will always be made for podcast listening, you know, we're just really excited about all the possibilities that can come from this. So, yeah, check us out. Search for Boss Locks, B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S, and subscribe and enjoy as you get to... (laughs) You know, we're all about growth, and this was the next step in creating a digital experience and reach people on the platforms they love the most. And while this show will always be made for podcast listening, I'm really excited about the visuals and content we can create. So go check us out by searching for Boss Locks. That is B-O-S-S-L-O-C-K-S. All right, thank you. Now, back to our show. Mm. man that's beautiful um that's that's really cool so what's interesting about what you just said i mean there's a lot of interesting things so i love thank you very much for sharing all of that um i think the first thing that comes to mind is when it comes like the confidence um and across the board too i think that most of the time we hear like um kind of like fake it till you make it or something like that. But I think the way you put it was really interesting because it's almost like you have to teach other people how you want to be treated. Yeah. Kind of give them the blueprint. And that kind of starts with like holding your head high, a smile on your face, being like, yes, this is me. Mm -hmm. I'm not ashamed of it. Even if you might feel like, oh man, this is horrible. I don't like it. It's ugly. It smells bad. You got to be like, nope, nope, this is me. This is how I'm going to be treated because I don't, I feel like I mean, a lot of people, they do truly, truly believe in themselves right off the bat, but sometimes you don't really feel that confidence until you hear it from other people. Um, And so you really have to teach them. I love that. That's really cool. And another thing you mentioned at the beginning when you were first deciding to go natural, your people around you were like, oh, don't do that. Mm -hmm. And 
that's actually part of why I wanted to start this platform because in addition to making sure other people respect us for who we are, regardless of our hair, I think that we also have to kind of teach people the black community who have these like negative perceptions on hair. Oh my and God. yeah, I think it's a learned thing, of course, with everything like way back in the 1700s in New Orleans, there was that law where like women had to cover their hair. Um, I think it was a form of um, the show either that you were a slave or weren't a slave and just things like just little things like that that were huge and just over centuries, we just learned to not appreciate our own hair. Ourselves. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. We have so much unlearning to do. It's not it's not even funny. I mean, culturally we have unlearning to do. Um, as a man, there's so much unlearning that you have to do as a woman. There's so much unlearning you have to do. Um, really like find realizing that the what what is attractive is the soul, the inside and not the outside because you know anything on the outside fades it's exterior it's superficial it's tangible but what what is you know valuable is what's intangible and knowing that your stock is good from the jump you know no matter what kind of packaging it's in i mean i'm still unlearning a whole lot of things and trauma from my childhood but i'm thankful and blessed because i had parents that poured into me i mean i'm talking about i was made fun of and teased in elementary school and you know, not picked, but I still had, even though, I, even though it didn't make me feel any better in the moment, I still had parents and aunts and family members that poured into me at home. So even though at 10 years old, I wasn't really, it really, it, I didn't think it was helping me then. Now as a grown woman, almost 30, I'm attacking and addressing those, the comments that people made about me at 10 years old with the love that I had been receiving since I was 10 years old, you know, mm-hmm. like those things don't go away. Kids can be so cruel, <laughs> yeah. but when you really do the soul work and I, I like to call it the soul work, but when you really do the soul work and you think about the, the issues and the problems that you're struggling with as an adult that you don't want anyone else to know about and you start tracing stuff back to your childhood and to the smallest thing that somebody said about you or, you know, the, somebody's reaction when you did this, when you was like 10 or, or younger, it makes sense. So we've been fed these lies and these thoughts about ourselves on the inside our entire lives. How else do you combat that? Like, how do you adopt something different and take that and run with that, you know, and cancel out everything that you've been, that you've been shown before? That's tough, but that is truly the process of like the self love. You know, mm-hmm. that's really cool. And what, how, um, what type of conversation, or do you have conversations with your students about self love? Yes, yes, all the time. Um, well, I'm also a cheerleader coach, a cheerleading coach as well. Um, I mean, I have, I, I think that those relationships with my girls are some of the most substantial relationships that I've ever been able to, I'm literally blessed to be able to do that. But um, yeah, it's, you, self-love is like in so many different ways, but confidence is a form of self-love and, you know, being confident in your abilities and just in the, like being a coach for anything is deeper than whatever it is that you're doing it for, you know? So like before a performance, talking to my girls who I see are visibly nervous about a performance, 
you know, I'm talking to them about performing, but I'm really talking to them about loving yourself. You're walking out here and putting your best foot forward for the entire world to see whatever, but you're really enjoying it for yourself. You know, I'm, I'm always encouraging them, um, in my words and my actions. Um, I'm blessed to be able to, to coach with my best friend who has been my best friend for 16 years. Oh, wow. Right. So the way we love each other and the way we love ourselves is is reflected, you know, with our with our girls. So if I'm not, if it's something that Coach Hill isn't actually directly saying to them, but it's something that you can pick up on in the way I communicate with with my with the other coach, you know, that that the message still gets out there. But I think um, it's more about I mean, you could say anything, but it's more about how you show it to, you know, like I have to ex- exhibit that confidence for my girls. And I gas them up too, but you know, you have to, it's more than just saying it. You have to practice it as well. Mm-hmm. That's cool. I guess you're also really teaching them about, a, 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 teaching them a lot about leadership as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and just how, what a true leader is, what a good leader is and times where you need to remove yourself from <laughs> whoever's mm-hmm. leading you down a path. Yeah. That's real. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's really cool. Now, um, I want to kind of transition over to another thing that you do because you really do a lot of different things. Um, yeah. Like, <laughs> I wonder when you sleep, but. Now, Nightmare Radio. Um, I think that's really cool. And I really do like how you guys, like, one, there's the chemistry on the show the approach you guys take to the different topics and it's just also really cool just how you like you have that music breakdown in there too i'm like oh it's like it's not just that you're playing a song but you're playing like a a good song too not like a song that's being overplayed either so shout out to dave p our dj dj dave p hey (laughs) doing a good job man um yeah so and have you you've been doing that for like less than a year um, we started January, so we are um, oh, okay. halfway through the year. We have not let down um, amid COVID and all this stuff. It has been a blessing, but this isn't my first podcast. Well, this is actually a radio show and podcast, but this is not my first um, rodeo in the podcasting world or really like in the you know media realm. This is what's crazy. So we talked about teaching. We talked about what I did professionally in, in corporate America. Um, I've always wanted to be in media since I was like seven. Oh, wow. <laughs> yes. Uh, I used to want to be Whitney Houston and then that didn't work out. But, <laughs> but I used to sit in front of the news um, and I would mimic Jaquita Williams, Monica Kaufman Pearson, Amanda Davis. These are like uh, Javita Moore, black women that are on the news in Atlanta. And I would literally just like mimic what they said. Reporting live from, you know, like I would just, that's what I wanted to do. I went to school for that. Um, I went to school for communications, for broadcasting. So um, me taking all of those other routes professionally, I've always, this has always been where my main focus has been. Um, and so Nightmare Radio was a manifestation <laughs> and um, and the product of working really, 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 really hard um, in an industry, in a lane that I literally carved out for myself. 
so the route that I'm taking is really untraditional um, because I, like I said, I went to school. My classmates are now major affiliates in major markets across the nation. Mm. And, and I'm in a classroom, you know, during the day, <laughs> but I still have an opportunity to do the broadcasting thing by my own means and for my own audience. And so Nightmare Radio has given, has provided that platform. And my partner, Aisha, shout out to Ish, you know, she's just a godsend. This is, we've been working together on the back end doing stuff for the past two and a half years, you know? Nice. Yeah. That's really cool. And you know what? I, I really like that. Well, I've taken an untraditional path as well. Um, I think a, um, a hiring manager once told me that. It's like, huh, you know, you, you're doing all this stuff. It's very untraditional, but it's cool. But um, I think it's really cool. Like if you think about like liberal arts colleges, their whole point is to try to give you like a rounded education by putting you in all these classes that you really don't need to take, but it just helps to add that little more like flavor mm-hmm. to it's your thought flavor. process. Yeah. <laughs> So I think it's really cool. Like you um, are able to pick up, like based on your own experiences, these different pieces that were kind of like off the path, but they all kind of contribute to that final Brittany Kristen, who's on Nightmare Radio. And so you get to like, while other people, you know, they just went straight into this, they could speak on this subject, but they might not have as much experience like in the classrooms. You could actually talk about what's needed in the classrooms and everything because you're in there. Yep. Um, I'm really thankful for this journey. I. <laughs> You know, if I could talk to my 17-year-old self, (laughs) actually, I probably wouldn't even say nothing. I'd be like, girl, just just get some popcorn because it gets good, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I'm thankful for this journey. It has been amazing, the good and the bad. I have touched a lot of different things um, while still staying focused, you know, on on my overall goal. I do want to be a, a media mogul. I want my own production company. Um, I I do pro- I do actually do production, film production, um, content, you know, stuff like that. I'm getting into screenwriting and script writing. Um, you know, I just want to create content for the culture that promotes the culture positively, that um, teaches that preserves the culture, like that is what I want to do. And I and I know that media is my outlet to do it. So by me, by, when I say like all forms of media, I have my, or have had my hands in, you know, through the different roles and jobs and opportunities and things that I've um, participated in. So it really does all lead up to the, to the greater good, you know? Mm-hmm. That's cool. I got a couple of things, like as you were talking, I was just thinking about a couple of different projects that, I'll tell you off air, but, um, yeah, that's, that's really cool. Yeah. So, um, hmm. Okay. So I guess what is kind of like your next steps on your path? Um, let's, let's manifest it to life. So (laughs) (laughs) I see uh, shout out to the breakfast club because they just, um, they just, they're going to be inducted in the radio um, hall of fame. Yeah. I just heard that. Yeah. They're doing great things for the culture and I see nightmare radio up there with them one day. Um, I would love to see our show be syndicated. Um, I don't know what the future of FM of analog radio looks like because everybody streams their content now. And that's why we are on, you know, we, in addition to our live airing, we're on all platforms, but I see us, um, I see us dominating um, media as 
as the number one provider for culture information across the nation and internationally. Um, I see myself with a production company um, that that produces and creates um, films, textbooks, because it's needed and because I now have an education background and I know exactly how important it is to have textbooks that tell our stories. Um, you know, but I, I see I see educational films, I see, you know, comedy, romance, drama films, I see TV shows, um, you know, music. I have a very strong, the, the work that I do in addition to Nightmare Radio, um, I work a lot with, with indie and independent underground artists, musicians. So I see opportunity for them to, to find their, their way in production. I just really, I want to write a book. Or a few, maybe. Hmm. <laughs> like yeah, an autobiography or um, like what type of writing? Well, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe later on in life, I might write a, I write, I might write my memoir. But um, right now in my mind, I, I want to write a story. I want to write, I already have a name for it. The Adventures of Skylar and Macy. That's my daughter and the little dog that just walked in. Oh, um, right. But I want to do children's books that teach children about, you know, black culture and new black history and old black history too and like and and lessons about self-love and and self-care and god and stuff like that and i want to tell that story through the eyes of what i perceive my baby and the dog <laughs> you know um because they the two of them together they get into all sorts of trouble and mischief it's like watching regrets in real life with the dog and my child <laughs> so yeah i would like to do children's books like that um I would like to do, you know, like I said, I would like to, to, to share my memoirs one day. Um, but yeah, any any way that I can be used and really fulfill this purpose, because I really, I'm for sure that my purpose is to push the culture forward, you know. So whatever's next, I'm, I am confident that I will be well-equipped and that I'm going to be able to work with the people that I'm, you know, meant to work with. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually funny. I would like to transition out of education. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, I do. I think that I, I think that I'm, I mean, I might entertain education on a higher level, like co collegiate education, doing adjunct professorship while I'm working through production and other things. But I really believe that I was brought to teach for a specific period of my time of my life. Um, and I think that my time is somewhat coming to a close. <laughs> um, but yeah, so I, so I don't see education too far in my future. Somehow mm -hmm. I'll always be connected to the classroom because I love the kids, but not as Miss Hill. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. And I feel like just, just not hearing you speak, I feel like while you may not be in that classroom setting, I feel like education and you are going to be kind of tied together forever. Um, and just a different type of form. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Especially when you talk about writing textbooks, like <laughs> in there. that's really cool though. We need something. McGraw Hill, Pearson. I actually just applied for a job at Pearson to do to oh, yeah. to, to do something similar. Um, but yeah, we need something because the stories that are told, you know, like I always tell my kids, you know, we it, it's customary to teach with your door open now. If you notice, if you walk through a high school now, most classroom doors are open or or ajar. But mm -hmm. when this Hill closes the door, you know, you about to get the real knowledge that everybody don't need to know about. And it's a shame that it has to be like that. <laughs> really? Oh, okay. So wait, <laughs> well, do you like, you like teach from the book and then you're like, all right, 
it, who's it? All right. It's, all right. Now let me tell you what really happened. Is it? Yep. Really? Christopher Columbus. Let's talk about it. Open your textbooks to page 85. All right. Great. Now y'all got this information for this in the course test. Great. All right. Close it up. Mm. And you can close the textbook at this point. <laughs> I love I mean, that. Yeah, you have to. I didn't get, I mean, you know what? I'm not even going to disrespect some of my teachers. Um, I was going to say I didn't get that when I was in school. I don't think that we were always as receptive of it because I had some woke mm. teachers. You know, I remember some teachers like uh, Dr. Akua, who I've been able to work with in my adulthood and um, Ms. Doster, some other teachers that were always like trying to, you know, drop that knowledge but the delivery is so important, you know, the mm -hmm. delivery is so important. The connection that you have with the, with the kids is, is necessary for you to have those types of conversations. So we talk about the real stuff too. <laughs> That's really cool. That is really cool. Yeah. Cause like they always say like winners basically teach the history and, mm -hmm. you know, white people, they, they've been winning for a long time. So they've been able to really shape history however they want to see it i know you always hear about texas and their history books and their textbooks what's not in there what's in there like i just think it's so interesting especially like the black impact on the world like my dad was Ooh. telling me that in russia don't quote me on this but i'm pretty sure it's true um in russia basically a black man helped reshape the language i could see that he probably was a more <laughs> probably probably yeah. Given that, that yeah, in that empire, yeah. yeah, that. But but I mean, this is this is this is what we what we know. Sadly, that's not what is being taught to our students at a very young age, unless they're getting it from other sources, which is which is likely, um, mm -hmm. unless they're getting it from their parents, their family, their community. Um, and I think that is so important. I have a minor in um, I have a double minor in public relations. Communications is my major. My major. And I have a minor in public relations and African American studies. Interesting. Yeah. And you want to know, oh, this is, you know what? These are things that people don't know, right? I was about to say, there's like 15 things that you dropped <laughs> that people don't know. So this is something that's really, that's really um, interesting. So I, in the job, okay, when I first graduated, I was on the get a job hunt, you know, and I was trying to make my resume, my portfolio, my profile um, likable by the employers, right? And so I was told, I used to work at Career Services on college campus. I was told, oh, you want to remove anything from your resume that denotes like race, religion, or background or cultural specifics, you know, because people will be, people will judge you for it, right? So when I first graduated in 2013 and I went on the job hunt, do you know that I took off my, my, my double minor off of my resume? Oh yeah. I took off my, um, my leadership work with the Black Student Alliance and NAACP and the Multicultural Student Center and all of these things that I did culturally specific in college. And I removed my no notification about my double minor in African American studies. And do you know in 2020, as I am now re-entering, you know, I'm searching, I'm doing, some, you know, things now. It was in 2020 that I had to remind myself, girl, you better put that thing back up on your resume. Right. Seven years later, I, I forgot myself. Like I had, even, even in, even though I'm so vocal 
you know, in my community, in my background, uh, or about my background and about my uh, um, association with Black culture and my love for like history, I had forgotten because I had been brainwashed and pretty much manipulated to like remove that from 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 my professional portfolio. So now, you know, for sure, it's everywhere I go because I'm applying for in this climate at this point, somebody better, you know, I'm applying for positions so that I can be use my background and use my cultural experience and my education so that I can bring it to the corporate setting so that I can be an advisor so that we won't have issues like H&M had with the little monkey shirt, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so crazy. I forgot, I had forgotten about about my own, you know, formal education because someone told me that because it had something to do with black people. Yeah. That wasn't going to be marketable. Mm. That goes back to a lot of things we got to unlearn. Yeah. Yeah. I can't believe that. I cannot. I sometimes, like I said, sometimes I'd be kicking myself like, girl, if I would have known then what I knew now. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You're making me actually think about some things. Like, I know I was part, like, ended up, I, I accidentally actually started kind of leading the BSA at our school. And it was kind of small. I ended up leaving because just, just some other things about how the school worked. But um, yeah, I, I just was in there for like a class project and like, oh no, can you do this? I'm like, oh, okay, cool, I guess. And I was like, oh, can you do this? And I was like, oh, okay, guess. <laughs> and then like ended up underneath the person who was leading it and then they left the school until they're like, can you lead? And I was like, oh, <laughs> okay, I guess. <laughs> yeah. But um, yeah, I, I haven't really thought about that either. Mm-hmm. That's I look back and I really see that God has been orchestrating. I mean, he really is the true, uh, true master, you know, of, of everything, but the things that I'm passionate about now, the opportunities that I've had, the projects that I'm working on now, like I'm truly, I'm truly called to do it. And I've got the experience that, that it requires because throughout my life, I have been trained for it, you know, like, um, it's the things that are going on right now with the Black Lives Matter movement um, and how people are protesting in the streets. Like I have not personally been physically out in the streets protesting um, because, you know, of, of COVID and I'm scared of all that type of stuff. But even before. Me too. Right now. Um, but, you know, I was, I was making signs for people to come pick up because in a way I, I was on I was organizing marches and protests and stuff like that in 2010, 11, 12 on my college campus, <laughs> you know, I was doing sit-ins and, and, you know, organizing those things then. And while I'm supportive of those things now, my mind is how else can I be impactful using the experience of what I've done in the past, you know, using those opportunities when I was in school or when I first got out of school or even, you know, like in passing, how, what can I, what from my past can I incorporate and utilize to make a difference, you know, for the future now? Hmm. And a lot of that stuff is from like BSA and NAACP and all those organizations from college. <laughs> yeah. So you said you let us sit in. Is that what you said? Mm-hmm. What was that like? Uh, we did, this was in 2011, I remember. How old are you? 26. So okay, 2011, cool. I was in um, 11th grade. Okay. So or 12th grade, depending on the year. Now this is, this happened, I was in college. Um, Troy Davis had been convicted and had been sentenced to like death row mm-hmm. um, for a, car- a crime that he committed in the early 90s. 
And I've not really an advocate for the death penalty, but I remember we had held, he, it, it came out that he was wrongly convicted of the crime mm. or that there was reasonable doubt that he was wrongly convicted of the crime, I wanted to, rather. And so my friends and I, one of my very close friends today, her name is Jasmine Shanice. Um, and we have very similar stories about how passionate we are and why we're like this now. But we were just so convicted and talking about things that were not right. And we we had heard that there were people protesting in Savannah because that's where the jail was close to Savannah at the time. And, you know, they were protesting all that. And so we had spread the word out on campus through the Black Student Alliance and through the NAACP and through some of the other minority-led organizations. And we we pretty much orchestrated um, like a prayer service and a sit-in in the um, in the union. And I remember, I can't remember what the term is, like when they like postpone the, the um, you know, the execution, but I know that mm -hmm. happened like twice. And we were like, oh my God, it's because we were out wow. here. Yeah. Uh, I mean, when Trayvon Martin had passed away, tragically, we had done marches for that. We had um, the young man, Kendrick, KJ Johnson, the boy at Valdosta High School, Lowndes County High School in Valdosta, Georgia. That happened when I was in college too. Mm. Um, we had we had organized for that. Um, I had I was writing at the time. I was on the radio station at, on my college campus. I was also writing for the newspaper, and um, and I want to say I was doing. I might have had some little video show too then, but I just really found every single way to use my platform to 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 promote what I believed in. Hmm. Yeah. What um I think it's interesting what you said earlier about like how you weren't in the streets but you still kinda of made signs and helped organizing and then also hearing about the work you did before, um just the different creative ways you approached um really trying to make an impact. Yeah. Um how would you like what would you recommend to someone who's just like not sure what to do, isn't the type of person who can go out to do the protest either because they're just not physically able to or emotionally able to or they just don't feel comfortable in that type of environment but still want to do something like how can someone make an impact yeah i mean it's so many different ways like i you really have to be the change you want to see it starts with a conversation conversation what types of changes do you want to see in the world in the own world that you live in okay and you can you know i'm like i said the list the list maker what types of things are you capable of doing? What are what are your where do your skills lie? What are you good at? What do you have access to? Like if you don't want to be out in the streets, because to be to be honest, everybody can't be out in the streets. Because if, if everybody's out in the streets with a megaphone, then who's doing the work behind the scenes? You know? Like if we're out in the streets protesting, what about making changes in policy? Okay, I'm not running for nobody's office, but I'm definitely going to do my just my due diligence and uh educate myself on the people that are running for office and i'm gonna damn sure make sure that everybody around me knows too <laughs> and it's mm -hmm. almost annoying like my friend i love my friends but my friends when they see me coming they be like oh boy give us a cliff notes pretty send me the link <laughs> send me just send me the link girl whatever you know just <laughs> but you know, <laughs> it's so many different <laughs> No, seriously, because I've been doing this for like 12 years at this point. So right. <laughs> here come Brittany with the soapbox and her fist. <laughs> um, but, you know, I would just say um, if you don't want to get out in the streets, okay, that's cool. Get on the Internet. 
do your research, compile that research and forward it to your friends. Okay, you don't wanna do that, then talk to people, call people, figure it out for yourself. You don't wanna get out in the streets, but you got some markers in a, in a, in a poster board and you know your friends are going out there, make the signs for them. Or, oh, <laughs> or um, like, like, especially at the beginning of the summer, I was promoting this on my page. If you were going, if you, if you are nervous about participating in those types of events, register and uh, enroll in the free training that Sean King sponsored to be um, a political observer, like a political uh, protest observer. So you're not attending the protest as a protester, but you're attending the protest as a recorder and an observer to make sure that things don't go wrong. And if they do, then you have the proof that's needed. And, you know, there's documentation and all that. If you're interested, I can provide you with that info. Yeah, um, send that over. We're going to put that in the show notes. Absolutely. I mean, there's so many different ways to be involved. If you want to get involved in with the youth in your community, if you would like to make impact, hell, the week of Juneteenth, my friends and I organized the whole, like, block you know, week, we did a community cleanup. We are still doing a voter registration drive. We did a voter information, you know, voter information things. And we did a, a commemorative walk around Stone Mountain. It wasn't a protest walk, but we, we went to Stone Mountain Park, which is like the bedrock of the Ku Klux Klan and the civil rights movement. And we just walked, you know, around in, in solidarity. And while it wasn't, we weren't shouting or anything, we were talking amongst ourselves, but it's a five mile walk. So, you know, we out there for purpose, but it's, there's so many different ways that you can practice activism. You know, you don't have to be out on the front lines. If that's not what, what is um, conducive for you, if that's not what is something, if, if that's not something that you want to do, it's so many different ways that you can be a part of this movement. Love you know, yeah, man, you know, I feel like there's like hours more left that we can speak on, <laughs> but I, I, yeah, we already gave them a lot, so we'll yeah. have to bring you back for part two. But, um, now before we go, is there anything that you would like to share? Um, yeah, definitely, I would love for if all of your listeners would also take a listen to um, to my show and podcast, it is Nightmare Radio Show. We stream on all platforms, um, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Anchor, you name it. I'll send you a direct link. If you'd like to tune in and listen to us live, we are live um, Saturdays, 6 to 8. And follow us on IG at Nightmare Radio Show. Follow myself on IG. Uh, Brittany Kristen, that's B-R-I-T-T-A-N-I-K-R-Y-S-T-I-N. And um, yeah, we've got some great things coming down the, down the pipeline. Oh, I do have something to announce. Um, mm. I am working on a project. It's called It Be Your Own Kids. If you think of <laughs> Kids Say the Darnest Things. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, so I, 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 when things are better, I would love to, um, to interview precocious children because they say the darnest things. They really do say interesting things. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, so I want to like kind of sort of research, bring that back, back but do it for specifically for our culture. So I want to talk to black and brown kids. I want to talk to them, you know, about their experiences, about their, um, you know, the things that they notice um, and, and give them an opportunity to have a voice because we always do all the teaching and the talking to the students and to the kids, but no one ever listens to what they have to teach us or to say to us. That's really cool. What, um, is there a certain age range you're looking for? Um, like, 
literally from like three, because my three-year-old has a lot to say <laughs> to like to like maybe like fifteen, you know. Okay, and of course, cool. the age groups, the ages will denote the different topics and the things that we talk about. But yeah, that's that's in the works. It's coming down the pipeline. Okay, cool. We'll, yeah, we'll definitely plug that when it's out. Um, yeah, we'll add the link to Nightmare Radio. Everything you got going on, we'll make it well known, man. Brittany, thank you very much for coming on. Um, actually, one last question. Okay. With your locks, um, what's something that you would if for people out there who are considering the hairstyle or um, have it, but are just kind of nervous or feel some type of way about it, what's something that you would share with them? Like a little piece of advice about mm. natural hair. Um, well, this is by far the lowest maintenance hairstyle I've ever had. And I love it for that. It literally is a shake and go in the morning. Um, but it really is for me, it's, it's more than hair. Um, my lock journey is, a visual representation of my own like spiritual and journey of self-love and self-understanding. Um, so if you're, if you're going into it because you're looking for something to do with your hair, you are going to be in for a beautiful surprise um, because you're going to learn so much more about yourself in this time and do not give up because it is worth every single bit of the journey. And when you pass, when you like, people are always consumed with like the length and stuff like that. Like for those that are starting out and they're worried about the little small, little baby stage, by the time you get past it, you're going to wish you'd go back to it. <laughs> and you'll also realize, or you'll notice that your, you know, the stage, the growth of your locks kind of sort of coincides with your own personal growth as well. Like you can, I mean, is that true for you? Like how long have you very, had your- Very true for me. Um, 2007, summer 2007 is when I started my lock journey. Wow. And it literally was just off the whim. I was at a friend's house. Um, I went to I went to a boarding school in middle school. So like when I came home in the summer, I was like, oh, yo, I'm back now. So I went over to a friend's house and his dad came home. And I actually needed to have an interview with him because I don't know why he asked me that, but he just walked into the living room and said, hey, you want to try locks? I just looked at him. Wow. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So we like went to a room. We came back. I don't know where he got the stuff from. We came back, pulled up the chairs, like, let's do it. So uh, we're watching Invaders in while he locked it and yeah, it, it really is a journey of self-discovery. Um, mm -hmm. I think that's like one of the main reasons why I love my hair is because it really, it's like as you grow the different phases, it's like your hair grows as well um, yeah. from people always call it like the ugly phase. But like, I remember like having like a, like one lock sticking out like an antenna, yeah. just like the hair just do its own thing. Yeah. And, yeah, but it's all beautiful at the end. And you know, it's mm. interesting. I never really thought about it, but I actually do kind of miss like when my hair is like a little short because you can do like, me fun can't do as many styles, but it's still kind of fun just to have it yeah. around. Um, yeah. 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 Yeah, that's that's the biggest thing I have to say. If you are signing up for the lock journey just because you're looking for a new hairstyle, you are in for a surprise. You're going to learn <laughs> so much about yourself. Um, I... I highly encourage people to like to to journal or to vlog, vlog it. One of my closest friends, uh, Coco Chanel, she's always on my page. One of my inspirations for getting locks. She recorded herself during a time when she had first started locks and she was like hating it, you know, and she recorded herself talking about it. 
And she's like four years in the game now. And she looks back at that video and she's like, man, I wasn't talking about my hair. I was talking about myself. I wasn't mm -hmm. happy with myself. And I was just, you know, saying externally, I, ain't like my, I didn't like my hair. But she remembered those things that was going on. So if you are considering or if you're new to the lock journey and you're feeling all these different crazy emotions, pick up the pick up your, your, your phone and record yourself and save it. Save it to the cloud or to the Google Drive or Google Photos or whatever. And, you know, when you when you get some inches and when you level up spiritually or when you get to the next level in your life, you look back at that at that thing and remind yourself where you came from. Thank you for listening to Boss Logs, where we redefine professionalism and prove that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, if you like today's episode, please go and subscribe to our show and to make sure you never miss an episode. You can watch and listen to us on Spotify, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and more by searching Boss Locks anywhere and everywhere. And if you want to learn more about today's guests and the awesome stuff they're doing, please visit our website to find links to their social media accounts, websites, and everything else they got going on. And while you're there, you know, poke around the side and just go see what we're up to. Our site is www.bosslocks.org. That is www.bosslocks.org. Thank you for listening and we will see you next time.